It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Coming up on New York, New York. It seems like everything is coming up next. Longest win streak in the NBA. R.J. Barrett playing like an all-star. Derrick Rose finding the fountain of youth. And yeah, Tom Thibodeau better be the coach of the year. Basket in the glory of the Knicks. Oh, the Yankees actually won a game. What a concept. We got a jam-packed show. The great Jeff Van Gundy will join me for the first time. Stanford Steve is going to join us. We got listener voicemails, all that more. It's New York, New York, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome into episode eight. Of New York, New York with me, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And it's definitely refreshing. I'm not going to lie, folks. It is refreshing to be able to come on and do one of these bad boys and actually have a smile on my face and actually have a little bit of an extra pep in my step because... Not only do we have Jeff Van Gundy coming on, not only do we have Stanford Steve coming on, not only do we have voicemails galore from all of you out there, I actually, I think for the first time in New York, New York history, I know it's such a long and storied history, trust me on that, but I think it is the first time I could come on the air after the Knickerbockers win and after the New York Yankees win. Now that is what I'm talking about. And... From a lead standpoint, folks, how are you not gushing? How are you not waxing poetic when it comes to the New York 
Knickerbockers. Yeah, I can't believe we're living in a world where the New York Knickerbockers are moving further and further away from that potential plan. The playoffs, it, it, no matter which way you slice it, dice it, playing in, whatever, they're a part of the dance. They're a part of the tournament. And oh, by the way, this team has just rattled off seven straight wins. Seven straight. And going up against the team, I know LaMelo Ball's not playing for Charlotte, but it's the product we've seen now all year, and especially over the last couple of weeks as they go and take names and kick ass on Tuesday night. And everybody was getting involved in a party. You look up and down the stat sheet, the box score, everybody's getting involved. Everybody's getting involved. Randall, listen, what can you say about the guy? He's one of the leading candidates for most improved player in the NBA. The guy can take it from the outside. The guy's finishing. The guy's distributing. He's doing it all. Then you got Barrett. The confidence that R.J. Barrett is playing with right now, it's exactly what you expected out of the number three overall pick. I mean, listen to these stat lines. Listen to these stat lines. Barrett going 8 of 17 at 6 of 11 from three. Remember when the narrative with R.J. Barrett was that he couldn't shoot the basketball? That was a narrative a year ago. Barrett is every bit looking the part of the number three pick in the draft. And I absolutely love it. And it's a lesson to anybody out there. It's why you don't, under any circumstances, abandon hope with a first-round draft pick one year in. Can't do it. Can't do it, especially when there were glimpses last year that R.J. Barrett could play. It's why I laughed. You know, I, I, I took calls, my old gig. Nick fans making the argument, he's a bust, he stinks, he's this, he's that. Perspective. Just a smidge bit of perspective. It was necessary. Barrett, he's going to shoot the ball like this. He's going to be an all-star. Dan Emanuel quickly who I've been screaming about the point more and more and more. That's my only gripe and critique, I guess, with Tom Thibodeau. He gives you 17 off the bench. And I was concerned, I have to admit, when the Knicks brought Derrick Rose into the equation. Because my fear was, oh, geez, Tom Thibodeau loves Derrick Rose from his days with the Chicago Bulls. And that means somebody like Emmanuel quickly is going to get lost in a shuffle. Hasn't happened. Emmanuel quickly has his role. But Derrick Rose has been instrumental in a whole lot of Nick wins, including the one Sunday against New Orleans. He had a terrific game and was great down the stretch here against Charlotte. And he's a guard and he's a guy that Tibbs is going to trust in these sort of crunch time scenarios. Listen, I understand there's a limit for what this team can achieve, but I'm loving every minute of it. Because you know what? They've sucked for the last eight years. They've been unwatchable. For the last eight years, this team scratches and claws, and they've taken on the personality of their head coach. And look, I'm aware of what Monty Williams is doing with the Phoenix Suns. And I know Quinn Snyder is rocking it with the Utah Jazz. You look at where the Knicks have been. You look at the roster that they've put together. How is Tom Thibodeau not the coach of the year? I mean, I don't want to disparage those guys. I really don't. But do we understand what the Knicks are working with here? 
And look at their record. And look at the way they're playing. This is not New York bias. I want that to be known. So let it be written. So let it be known. It's not New York bias. Tom Thibodeau is waving that magic wand and is turning chicken, you know what, into chicken salad. That's coaching, baby. I'd vote for coach of the year wouldn't be close. I thought the Suns were going to be good at the beginning of the year. That's not to disparage Monty Williams. They had Chris Paul. They have Devin Booker. They have a lot of top flight talent. Utah's been good the last couple of years. The Knicks? Since that 54-win season in 2013, how many winning years have they had? You know what the answer is? A big, fat zero. And I understand this is going to crash and burn at some point in the postseason. I'm well aware of that. I'm not planning my parade down a canyon of heroes. But you know what this season has done? This season has made the New York Knickerbockers a viable NBA destination once again. That is something they have not been in a long time. And this quote came out on Sunday. And normally I am one of these guys that's very dismissive of a lot of the stuff that's out there as far as this guy's coming to the Knicks. No, 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 no. That guy's coming to the Knicks because I've been there, done that. I said I won't get fooled again. I'm not going to get duped. Not going to get suckered in. But then I hear this clip. And now, I'm thinking otherwise. I mean, New York is the mecca of basketball. Uh, I love I love playing. I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college, and this is my first time playing here in the pros, and I mean, this, this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously, uh, I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. If you're wondering whose voice that was, that is my dude, the great Zion Williamson, who was also close to being a New York Knickerbocker just a couple of years ago. You could see the look in his face when the Knicks ended up with the number three pick in the draft. I think he was dreaming of that billboard right outside Madison Square Garden. I know it's years away, but the kid loves New York City. One of his best friends in the NBA is R.J. Barrett, his college roommate at Duke. Can I see it in a couple of years? Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to allow myself to get suckered into this one. First of all, because it's years away. Second of all, because the Knicks are playing great. Third of all, because they're actually building that sort of, quote unquote, culture that I get sick and tired of talking about where you can dream of guys wanting to be a part of it. I don't think this one's outrageous, folks. I really don't. But right now, everything is giddy in Nickland. They got the Atlanta Hawks coming up on Wednesday night. And I want the Knicks in that 4-5 game. If the Knicks can find a way to be in that 4-5 game, they are very, very live. And I've been dismissive of their chances of winning a first-round series because I didn't think they'd match up well and would be able to beat Philly, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee. Well, if you end up in the 4-5, it's Boston, Atlanta, Charlotte, or maybe Miami. I wouldn't like the Knicks' chances against Miami. The other three, I'll take my chances. And that's just a beautiful sight. Like, I want to run through a brick freaking wall for Tom Thibodeau.
I love that man. He is a lifer. He has embraced the idea of coaching the New York Knickerbockers. He wanted this job when nobody else wanted this job. Now, hopefully, the owner will stay out of the way and he can coach the team for a long period of time. So I'm just beyond giddy with what I'm seeing out of the Knickerbockers. I I haven't been this giddy about the Knicks in like eight years when I was buzzing my hair. I wasn't even dating Kate at the time. That's the last time I was giddy about the Knicks. She could tell you that. Full disclosure. Now, Yankees did not exactly make it easy peasy on Tuesday night, and their hitting woes continue. And you should have known this. They're matching up against Charlie Morton. They never hit Charlie Morton. Even when the Yankees are going good from his Astros days to his days with the Tampa Bay Rays, they never touched Charlie Morton. And they didn't. Aside from Gio Urshela hitting a bomb. And by the way, Aaron Boone, take some notes. Move Gio Urshela up in the batting order. Yankee batting order, one, two, three. How about this? DJ, Gio, Judge. That's the suggestion from JJ in Staten Island via Brooklyn. DJ, Gio, Judge. They don't touch Morton. It looked like the Braves were going to get to the Yankee bullpen. And this is why I got to give the embattled manager some credit. He goes to Lutke for two innings, or basically two innings, does a good job. Brings in Green, cleans up the mess in the seventh. Then, with the bases loaded against, I think, one of the best hitters in the National League, last year's MVP in Freddie Freeman, they go lefty-lefty with Justin Wilson. And Wilson, to his credit, money pitching, money out, gets Freeman to retire the side. And then the Yankee lineup takes advantage of some sloppiness from the Atlanta Braves. A couple walks, a wild pitch, and you take it. Even with Clint Frazier failing in the clutch. Even with Glaber Torres failing in the clutch. I, I don't understand what these at-bats are. You're wondering when the Yankees are going to break out of it and score 9, 10, 11 runs. But for a team that's losing games left and right, and that was 5-10, and 10, they needed somewhat of a pick-me-up. Thankfully, on Tuesday night, they got a pick-me-up from their bullpen. They got a pick-me-up from Gio Urshela, who should be hitting higher in the order. And they got a well-pitched game out of Jamison Tyon, who, by the way, should have gone a little deeper than five innings, but was terrific. You get a lot more starts like that, the Yankee rotation will look a heck of a lot better. So, baby steps. You're five and 10, baby steps. You won a game, not started by Garrett Cole. Now, can the Yankees find a way to generate some sort of offense. So before we set the stage and get you ready for what is going to be one of my favorite shows, guest-wise, I think, all damn year, we got somebody right out of the gate. So let's fire away. What's up? Hey, JJ. This is Jace from the Bronx. Um, first off, I'm really happy that the um, that the Ringer is providing a um, uh, a platform for New York sports because I'm honestly tired of hearing the sports guy talk about the Celtics and the fucking Red Sox or whatever. So um, I'm 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 just glad right now. It brings me joy to just hear the pretentious, arrogant Yankee fans bitch and moan um, about their team. So I'm just grateful for that. So I'm I'm pretty happy. As you can tell, I'm probably you know as you can tell, I'm a Mets fan. And uh, also go Knicks. I'm fucking loving this. So uh, um, hope to leave more voicemail. This is great. Thank you. Well, I hope that you find a way to do so. We share a common bond there with the New York Knickerbockers. Um, Look, sometimes you're going to have to deal with me 
and Jacko and many other Yankee fans expressing their frustrations. And rightfully so, by the way, when a team starts off the year five and 10, at least on Tuesday night, I'm not like pulling my hair out and going even more gray. Because I honestly expected that to be the case. When the Yankees fell behind in this game, I'm saying they're going to get shut out again. And they're going to lose this game one to nothing. And honestly, I wasn't in the mood to yell. I wasn't in the mood to yell like negative thoughts. I'm in too good a mood today. I had a great six-toll at Silver Lake. I had a good hit with a couple of baseball games. The Knicks pointed me in a good mood. I'm in too good a mood to be angry. Let's hope that continues. This is a jam-packed show. And I have never had the opportunity to sit down and chat with one of my favorite coaches and one of my favorite broadcasters, period. The great Jeff Van Gundy is going to have a little conversation here with New York, New York about those glory day Nick years and about the current Nick team that has me smiling ear to ear. We got Stanford Steve. We got listener voicemails. We got so much more to do. It is a jam-packed New York, New York. With me, JJ, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Let's welcome in a guy who needs no introduction. He's my favorite Nick coach ever. And now he's been a television superstar, it feels like, for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. Jeff Van Gundy, what's up, coach? Not much. Time does fly. Yeah. Did you ever get the sense, Jeff, that you would be in the broadcast booth as long as you've been in the broadcast booth? No. You know, I thought... um, I would, you know, when I got the opportunity, I would do it for a few years um, and then find my way back to coaching. But for many reasons, uh, it's, you know, I'm still doing it. Uh, I work with great guys and uh, I really work. I like uh, working, um, you know, with those guys. And so, you know, workplace uh, friendship is uh, when you don't have a team anymore, uh, that's important. So I'm very fortunate in that way. When was the moment for you, and obviously you know Mike Breen and Mark Jackson a long, long time, but when you're in the broadcast booth doing games, was there a moment right away? Did it take a couple of years where you said, wow, we really got a good thing going here? No, you know what? I leave that to Mike uh, because he knows more about it than I do. You know, I think I always felt comfortable with Mark. You know, I I came to the Knicks uh, in 1989 as an assistant, and Mark was coming off his second year in the NBA at that time. and you know, he helped me so much to know the game, know the NBA game, which was different than college. Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley as well. So, I, you know, I learned more from him than he learned from me at that point in my uh, coaching career. So um, we were always good. And then, you know, along the way, I coached him 
uh, as a head coach, both in New York and in Houston. So we were always tight. And then Mike, you know, he's, uh, you know, a Nick broadcaster forever. And, you know, I know I'm biased, but uh, I don't think anybody does a better job uh, in basketball than Mike. So I was really fortunate to be around guys I knew. And then I just trusted uh, our bosses, Tim Corrigan there. And I trusted what he told me, the feedback he gave me, and the feedback that Mike and Mark gave me. Talk me through you getting a Nick gig. Because as I'm a kid growing up, Jeff, Patrick Ewing's the stud. Pat Riley in his Armani suits and his slick back hair is, you know, walking the sideline. And you guys make it to the NBA Finals. Then you lose that second round series to Indiana. And then Pat's out. He's down in Miami. And Don Nelson is coaching the team. And let's be honest, something was off. Something was not right. Did, was there a moment for you where you kind of had a sense you were going to get this opportunity? Or were you like blindsided like everybody else when Don Nelson gets fired and you get the opportunity to coach? Well, I was blindsided. But I, I want to go back to tell you how much Nick's standards have changed. People talk like Coach Nelson uh, wasn't getting it done. We had uh, Charles Oakley was out for six weeks. We had a roster that was uh, in transition. And do you know what the record was he, he got fired at? You guys were what, like seven, eight games over 500? 34 and 25. I was close. Okay, yeah. I was close. So at the, today, not today necessarily. But hey, I'm celebrating it three games over, four games right. over, Jeff. Let's right. go a parade. It, Let's have a party. Exactly. So Coach Nelson did a good job. I think he was still, um, I think he would probably tell you he came back a year too early instead of, uh, taking some time after that long run in Golden State to jump immediately in to a cross-country move and, and try to take over a team that, frankly, wasn't constructed in, with him in mind. It was more you know, of a you know, Pat Riley-constructed team. So I think that was just so different. But he did a really good job. But you know, when Ernie came to my door in Philadelphia, I truly – you know, I had no idea. In fact, uh, I played for a guy in college at Nazareth called Bill Nelson. And so I called my dad once uh, Ernie had talked to me. I, I called him. I said, hey, dad, Coach Nelson got fired. He thought I was talking about my college coach. He was like, you know, as stunned as I was. And, you know, we were playing that night against an awful Philadelphia team and we got our head handed to us. So um, it comes quickly at you in the NBA. You can go from good to bad and bad to good uh, very quickly. Uh, I was stunned at the opportunity, but I, I never felt overwhelmed. And then you think about that Sunday game, which I will never forget. It's the NBA and NBC. You guys are playing the Bulls team that I couldn't stand with Jordan, and they go and win 72 games. And Coach Derek Harper just could not miss a shot. That Sunday, did you think about your coaching career? Obviously, you know, you win your first game. That's going to mean something. First win against Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, 72-win Bulls, best team I've ever seen in my lifetime. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah, especially when it comes off uh, losing to the worst team in the league the game before in Philadelphia. And I think that's why you're always searching for great competitors uh, in sport. You know, Derek Harper... Uh, we got him after Doc Rivers got hurt, um, and he did such a great job helping us get to the finals. Uh, 
in 94, played an integral part. And the same in, you know, 95, he has a good year. And then I, I, I'm coming in and, you know, you're trying to find your bearings. But think about it. When you have Ewing, Oakley, Harper, Starks, Mason, like those guys are all big time, big time competitors. That's why they never shrank in those moments against great teams. Doesn't mean we won them all. Obviously, we can never scale Mount Jordan in a playoff series, but they never uh, shrunk from the competitiveness. So, you know, did I know we would win that game? No, but I knew we would respond well because we had the right type of competitors. Um, we got beat a lot. You know, I want to throw Charlie Ward in there too. We got beat, obviously. Um, but there were very few times I left as either an assistant coach or a head coach and said, we got out-competed tonight. I heard you say this in an interview back last year with all the last dance stuff going on, that you felt the 93 team, the year before you guys got to the finals, was the best chance of knocking off Michael Jordan 2-0 lead. Jordan doesn't shoot it well in game three. And then we know what happened from there. Jeff, 96-97, though, you're coaching a team. I thought that team was so much fun. You add Larry Johnson, you add Allen Houston, that ridiculous ruling in Miami with guys coming off the bench, and you would have won that series. I don't, I don't think there's any question. I think you would have won that series. You win one of those three games. Does that one eat at you more, or is it the 93 year? Well, I think it's, it's both. I think the 93 year, to me, um, the one, the game that like I can't let go isn't game five. It's game three in Chicago. Jordan shot three for 18 and they beat us by 20. You're not going to get many bad Jordan games that when he got to the line, but he just, he didn't play well. It's coming off that whole Atlantic city thing. And if we were more ready to like, get after them in that game. I think we have a great shot at getting to the fourth quarter and then finding a way to a 3-0 lead. And obviously then it's all different. And then, you know, 97, listen, my fault that so many guys came off the uh, bench. But how can you control that? No, though, but I should have. I should have you know? yeah. that way. Yeah. And uh, their fault for leaving. We knew the rule. The one that bothers me is Ewing did nothing. Nothing. I totally agree. And totally agree. That and you would have won game six if he plays. Yeah, and that's an overreach uh, of power um, that, to me, didn't have the best interest of the NBA. And um, unfortunately, you're uh, you're you know you're dealing with a, a a dictatorship when it comes to discipline in the NBA. And I just thought it was wrong for Patrick, and it was wrong for the league, and. Um, you know, so I, I feel badly about that one because like you said, we had a, we had a great team. We were in our prime. Uh, we had a guy who now could go get his own bucket in Allen Houston. We had uh, John Starks willingly goes to the six man role. Uh, our versatility in the front court was uh, terrific. Um, you know, so there was a lot of good with that team and you don't want to judge off the regular season, but we had split with uh, Chicago that year. And, you know, we, they were all like, you know, like you could see that it was different because Houston and, and Johnson gave us an element, you know, that we didn't have before. So 
Yeah, we had a really good team. Yeah, and I think about you guys that final game of the year, playing everybody. I know, what a concept. You guys played game 82. Chicago played game 82. How much does it bother you, Jeff, now doing these games? And I get it. You want to protect players. We want to see them in the postseason. The load management stuff, though, is totally out of control. Yeah, you know, that was interesting. The, the last game of that season, you're right. Like, nobody was thinking playoffs. They were thinking, we get a shot at Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was thinking, we get a shot at the Knicks. Like, this is great. Let's play. And they were going for 70 wins. You know, so they had 72 the year before. And then 70, uh, they're going for 70 that year. Uh, I think it ended up 105, 103 or something. It was a very good game. But I think... I think about this often. This year, I think, is different. I understand this year, because the schedule is so condensed and compacted, I understand why, you know, there will be nights where healthy people sit. But I think in regular, in, in a normal season, like next year hopefully will be, and, and seasons before this, I think we're starting to try to take advantage of our fans. And I think when you – Take advantage of your customers, uh, and eventually there will be blowback and consequences. And it used to be you knew injured players sat, healthy players played, they're available. Now you can turn on games, and you truly have no idea who will or won't play in that game. And I think it's unfortunate, and I think it's going to have negative consequences for the NBA. Um, and I think we need to own that. If we're giving them the best product we can and people choose not to watch, well, that's just their choice. But when we don't give them the best product we can, then shame on us. Biggest lesson you took in your years of coaching from Pat Riley? Well, I, I, I just think I worked for him for what was it? Four years. And I thought he, he had a great pulse on how to challenge a team and get a team to play its very best. And I don't mean yelling, screaming, like not, none of that. I, I just mean up the standards and um, timely outbursts when guys weren't meeting standards. Um, you know, everybody knows he's a terrific before uh, games, but um, I, I thought it was the habits he created within our team, a commitment to every night excellence um, through terrific practice habits, uh, through unselfishness, uh, and he played to the strengths of our team. And I think if you can do that with any team, you maximize their ability to win. Now that may not be a championship level team because, you know, a lot of that is based on talent, but I thought coach Riley, you know, he did that day after day, year after year when he was in New York. You guys with Miami, Chicago, Indiana, I mean, it was blood. It was guts. You guys hated one another and it was great theater. Was there one particular rival though, Jeff? where it felt like the hate was kind of like bubbling and swelling maybe more than the other two. I know it's almost impossible because, listen, you and Jordan was great theater. Reggie and Spike and the Knicks was great theater. Something about Miami, though, man. When Riley left, he's coaching yeah. there. It's Alonzo. You're hanging on his leg. 
I hated the heat. I still do to this day. But I I'm curious in your shoes, did you yeah. feel hate more so with one as opposed to the other two? You know, to, with Miami, I think it it started as hate for the first two years. You know, we, we met four straight years in the playoffs and went to the you know final game each of those four years, which is completely unusual, right? It's just, I mean, uh, Jerry Tarkanian used to tell Thibodeau because uh, Thibodeau used to work for Tarkanian way back in San Antonio. He said he would plan his day around those playoff games. He'd get his food. He'd sit in front of, the, you know, he'd be ready, right? And so the first two years, there was a lot of animosity. I think what it morphed into, though, was mutual respect because you knew you had to come and, and bring your very best uh, because they were going to bring their very best. I think with Indiana, um, the one notion that bothered me all the time was, you know, Reggie was a Nick killer. Well, Reggie had his times with us. You guys beat him. 99, you beat him. Yeah, and we 93, had 94, you beat him. Yeah, and he shot an air ball and uh, going into 94 on the last possession. He, he was three for 18, I believe, in the uh, final game of uh, 99. You know, so he, this whole notion, like, you know, they did that 30 for 30 um, uh, based on, you know, Reggie, you know, slaying the Knicks. I'm like – Hello, can people go check the box scores, please? It wasn't like we didn't get the best of him, some too. Uh, and so, but I think the Chicago thing, because they set such a high standard and they were so good for so long and we got there, but we just couldn't get by them. You know, we could beat them in games, but we never beat them in a series. I think that's the one uh, that probably, you know, still resonates most with me. And I loved your quote, by the way. I've never had an interview with you, but the quote with Jordan, listen, the idea that you gave additional fuel to the fire to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan wanted to step on the throat of the Knicks anytime he played him. You give me the opportunity, he wanted to kill you guys. Please, the idea that you were going to throw an additional fuel I, to the flame, I, I don't buy it, Jeff. No, I don't buy it. I, I always laugh at, at that notion that, you know, these players are always searching for external motivation. First of all, no, there's never been a great player that needed external motivation ever. Especially that guy, by no. the way, especially so, him. So I, I Frank Isola, uh, I still get on because he, I, I remember we lose by one, right? So uh, when he got the con man game and he got, I forgot, did he get 51 or 51? Yeah, it was something outrageous. Something like yeah, that. He he just He's staring you down yeah, in the yeah. process too. So, I'm cursing him as a little kid naturally. Yeah, Frank Isola said like, never tug on Superman's cape. And I'm like, okay, so let's just say we score one more bu bucket. Then you're saying, even if he gets 51, I'm one of the greatest motivators of all time. You know, like, so I've always found that whole thing about like, you know, you don't give him any fuel. Oh, stop. Like that is like, if you watch him play, the reason he's great is because he's great every night. Like, that's why he's great. Like certain players can be good, you know, one out of five nights, other guys, two out of five nights and so on and so forth. So what separates players is consistency and Jordan with both effort, energy, and his game, it was like five out of five. And on the rare night, he had a bad night shooting. He could impact the game in so many other ways. So yeah. One thing that's never bothered me is like that whole notion that I gave him additional fuel can't fight you on that and it's pretty crazy jeff you know maybe it's the last 20 years with the new york knicks 
you, Patrick, Oakley, Starks, Houston, you name me the guy, you guys in town are almost treated like a team that won multiple championships. I don't know if it's because of the Knicks being as bad as they have been, but like I think back to those years and I like, I was in my glory as a fan. Like every year you gave, you gave us something to be proud of. Obviously living in the moment, some of those losses are going to eat on you. They're going to wear on you. I get that. Looking back on it now, is it cool in a way to know that New Yorkers have kind of embraced those 90s Nick teams the way that they have? Well, I think New York fans always, you know, they get credit for knowing the game. And one part about knowing the game is knowing that even though you weren't a champion as far as winning the last game, I think New York fans were very perceptive in knowing that they got championship effort for a decade. You think that, think about that run, um, 91, 92, all the way to, you know, 2001. There were games in the, like meaningful games every spring into early summer uh, in New York. Jeff, baseball season didn't start until you guys wrapped up. Yeah. Bottom line, and, didn't start. Yeah, and it, it, I think they appreciated that. I think they appreciated, you know, the rivalries. I, I think it's hard to find rivalries now because players change um, spots a lot and um, people sit out. It's just a nicer, friendlier league, um, which I guess it maybe has an advantages too, but like, like when you were going, like you said, you mentioned Chicago, Indiana, and I would throw my early time in there, Detroit and Miami, right? Like you were going against Hall of Fame coaches and Hall of Fame players. And there was no like getting around you having to go right through greatness in a playoff series. And I think it brought out um, great games, great memories. And like you said, you know, heartbreaking anguishing type defeats, but overall, like if we had won a championship, it would have been better, but no one is ever going to convince me that we didn't have championship level competitors when I was there. Like just because they didn't beat Jordan, um, like I'm not, I'm not going to diminish what they accomplished. Those guys were great, great, great competitors. And I was proud to be associated with them. Full disclosure, I wanted one or two guys coaching the Knicks last summer. You or the guys coaching the team right now and Tom Thibodeau. He's doing a fabulous job. I know that they're limited from a talent standpoint. To be where they are, to get the year they've gotten out of Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Do you almost feel like, Jeff, a proud papa when you see Tibbs on the sideline? It's coming full circle. He's back where he belongs coaching the Knicks. You had him on your staff for all those years. That's got to be something special, no? Well, you knew he was, I, I knew him ever since I was like in my early twenties, he was at Harvard. I was at Providence. Um, and he would come down to see Rick Pitino's practices. So, um, getting time to spend with him there, like you already knew he, this guy's a great, great basketball coach. I don't think anyone has given more to their job, uh, over the course of a career than Tom has to basketball. I mean, he's as serious about his profession as anyone I've ever met. And I think what they've been able to do with uh, some very, very smart moves, uh, Alec Burks, Derek Rose, they've been able to create depth. I think Tom has them playing, and, and Noel, you know, Nerland's Noel, Todd Gibson 
has helped them with Mitchell Robinson out really like to protect the basket. But Tibbs has got him guarding like, you know, on an every night basis. I think Julius Randle's the most improved player in the league this year. I don't think it's close. You know, a guy going from 27% as a three-point shooter to 41, 73 from the line to 79, three assists to six assists. I mean, the guy has been, he has been a star. And if I had a vote that was 12 deep uh, for MVP, he would be on that list. I think he's been that valuable. So I think they've gotten, uh, like Leon Rose has done a tremendous job uh, adding to the roster. Tibbs has done a great job coaching them uh, and driving them towards uh, like becoming uh, not only a good team, but a dangerous team come playoff time. And then Julius Randle has been the star um, and he's been on an every night basis. So I, I can't be happier. You know, you're, I'm always going to be a Nick fan. So I am so pumped that they're playing good basketball and are relevant again. To take that next step. Cause right now it's a feel good year. They're going to make the playoffs. They've been incredibly well coached. They're a very likable team, but Jeff, they want to get to that next level in the Eastern conference. Is it a pass first point guard? Is it just as simple as they got to go and get themselves a star over the next two years? What, in your opinion, would take the Knicks next year from, you know, that fifth, sixth seed to maybe playing with the big boys, that top dog? Well, they have to keep the depth where it is. You know, they've been able to withstand some of these, like, injury, COVID-type things. So I think their depth has been uh, a huge benefit. Um, they, they've mixed youth and, and veteran players together very well. Um, but it doesn't matter a position but they do need like more offensive talent. Um, you're not going to, to beat the very best teams in this league in a playoff series with just one home run hitter in Julius Randle. Um, they're going to have to have other ways to create offense and create shots. And I think what this year does more than anything besides restore hope for the fan is let everyone in the league that may be approaching free agency or demanding to trade, however it's done, um, that New York is a viable place. And I think they're going to be able to attract a lot of talent over the next couple of years because of the foundation that they've set this year. Any concern with Brooklyn? We know they're talented. We know they're loaded, but they've barely played with one another. Is that something you'd be worried about come playoff time or it's Durant, it's Harden, it's Carrie, they're going to be A-OK. I think they'll be fine. That doesn't mean they'll win it, but I think they'll be fine. And I think in the first round, um, they're going to have, you know, in the Western Conference, the seventh and eighth teams are a lot better, right? In the first round, for the top two seeds, I don't think it's quite the same, um, unless you know Boston or Miami has to happens to slip there, and then you know all their guys get healthy, but. Yeah, I don't have an I don't have a worry about um, Brooklyn except health, right? Like, there's no guarantee that Durant or Harden uh, will remain healthy, and Kyrie, you know, he's missed a ton of games for a lot of different reasons. So, um, it's a different time. If you said somebody took, you know, a couple games off in the playoffs, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be surprised about that. Philly, Boston, Miami, Milwaukee. Who gives them the toughest series? Well, I think it's either Philly or Milwaukee. I think uh, 
you know, you've got to be able to guard at multiple positions and have multiple really good defenders. Um, I think Ben Simmons is such a good defender and bead such a good rim protector uh, that, and and B, what he does for your defense is because he gets to the free throw time line all the time, same with Giannis in Milwaukee, you get to set your defense more and you're not playing against these high powered offenses in transition. So I think, I think, uh, you know, the top three, I think it's critical or not critical like they couldn't win, but I think it'd really be helpful if Brooklyn got the first seed. So they don't have to go through both Milwaukee and Philadelphia. Um, that top seed is going to have a huge benefit of a, of a better matchup in the second round. After all that time in Florida, you scratch handicap yet? I'm not even, uh, if I played nine like legitimate holes and I got under 72, like, Oh, you're right there with me then Jeff. There you go. Me and you would be a good scramble team. Yeah. I like that. I'm a, I'm a like at least uh, quadruple bogey on each hole. So, so even all that time in Orlando did not uh, take the golf game to the next level. I have a flawed swing. I had a good teacher in Mike green. He's, he's a tremendous golfer, but uh, yeah, uh, very flawed swing, but Mark Jackson is worse. Mike. Oh, that's good. Mike. Wow. So Mike, Mike carrying you guys then basically if we're playing best ball on the golf course. Oh yeah. Mike, I think Mike is a, what do you say? Uh, an eight or six, something like oh, that. He's, he's a stud then. Yeah. He's yeah. A stud. Yeah. And he plays the hard courses too. Like, you know, he's not playing like, uh, you know, the municipal course like that, that is open. Like he's playing that I'm playing course. on. Yeah. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. I don't know what's cooler talking to you now, chanting your name. When you swept the Atlanta Hawks, I was one of those crazy people chanting your name. Cause I wanted no part of Phil Jackson or me being like a 13 year old pudgy kid running into you at Rockin' Horse Ranch, and you actually agreed to take the picture. I don't know, Jeff. You take your pick, bro. Well, I appreciate I'll never forget the Atlanta Hawks, uh, you know, chanting my name. That was obviously an emotional time. And, uh, and uh, you know, you forget a lot of the games that come about. Like, you know, you might not remember every, everything, but special things like that, uh, when we were sweeping Atlanta that year in 99, I'll never forget how that game uh, – Ended and the players gave me a lot of grief in the uh, locker room after it, too. So, win win across the board. Thanks for doing this. Let's get it down to bogey golf the next time we do this. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Yeah, all right. Later. Uh, we'll work on that. Me and you both. All That's right. the great Jeff Van Gundy. We got voicemails. We got gambling stuff with Stanford Steve, all that and more. It is New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So I could have talked Nick basketball 
in the NBA with Jeff Van Gundy for like two hours straight. I mean, that was one of my favorite spots I think I've ever done. And there's a reason why that Nick team over the years is adored the way they still are today. The coaches, Ewing, Oakley, Starks, you name it, the guy. In many ways, that Nick team is treated like they won a title. Maybe it's the last 20 years. It might play a little bit of a role. But I look back on those years. Yeah, it is a couple of what could have been, no doubt. But nothing but love for those teams. How about this, by the way? The Knicks, five games over 500 for the first time since the end of the 2012-2013 season. The last time, of course, they made the postseason. They've won seven straight for the first time since March of 2014. Longest streak in the NBA. And for those of you who like to throw a couple of beaks down, the Knicks have covered 10 consecutive games. Wow. I've been missing a boat on a few of these. 10 consecutive games. My goodness. Crazy. Absolutely insane. Now, before we get to listen to voicemails, tough one for the Mets. And you know what's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit? Because the Mets have pitched so well. They are not scoring runs. At all. At all. I mean, they made Jake Arrieta look like the Jake Arrieta we saw in 2015 and 2016 with the Chicago Cubs. The Mets had no answers for Arietta. And I know the Mets, their manager, and Taiwan Walker was not particularly happy with the home plate umpire. And he wasn't very good. Let's make that abundantly clear. They also blew a call off first base. Walker, you got to pitch better. He's been very, very good his first couple of times out. He was terrible today. It's way too many pitches. To me, he was doing way too much nibbling. He was doing way too much complaining. Walker was not great tonight. But the Mets had an opportunity. Kimbrell, he loves walking a tightrope. And he did in the top half of the ninth inning. You had the bases loaded with one out with your two top guys with a chance of doing uh, some damage. Nimmo, who rarely expands his strike zone, struck out. And then Frankie Lindor is attacking first pitch. Met lineup's got to get going. They're 7-5. You're okay with that. This team's got to start scoring some runs. They haven't been as bad as the Yankees, and they've gotten a couple of big hits, which you like. Tuesday night, they did not. Bullpen did a good job. Walker did not. Bats did not. And they lose the first game here against the Cubbies. Now it's time, ladies and gentlemen, to hear from you. And we'll see if you guys and gals are in a better mood. I know I'm in certainly a very, very good mood, but you never know where the wind is going to take us. It's a listener voicemail time. Who do we got? What up, JJ? It's Joey Barcelona up in Norwalk, Connecticut. Listen, love the show. Love what you're doing. Huge Nets fan here. All right. And I can't hate. I can't hate on the Knicks. I like to see what they're doing. I like what Thibodeau's doing with you guys. I can't hate on that. But I've seen a very similar story happen in Brooklyn. You look at the 2018 roster from the Nets when we went 42-40. and 40. The team played hard. They played gritty. They played a tough series against Philly. Listen, this Knicks team is not going to look the same in two years if you want to be title contenders. That's just a reality. I think Knicks fans just need to know that. So I just want to slow you guys down. As much as you love this team, just slow it down. It's going to look a lot different in two years. Love you, JJ. Keep it up. Love the ringer. Peace out. Well, Joey, I appreciate the call. And I don't disagree with you. I think the team will look drastically different 
a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. There's nothing wrong with that. It's about the narrative and the notion of building it to the point where you're viable and that you matter. And the Knicks have not mattered in a long, long time. I know that's very tough for many of you to understand, but it's just real talk. They haven't mattered. And the players around the league, they've been toxic. Like Nobody's wanted to come and play for the Knicks. You hope that's changing. And that, to me, in more ways than one, is the biggest takeaway to come away with 2020-2021. Not only are the Knicks fun, but they're viable. Who's next? What's up, JJ? It's John from Queens. The Yankee team, yeah, we won tonight, but it's still a fucking disgrace. How the hell are you going to have the bases loaded, no outs, and the only two runs you get are the other team's screw-ups. A pass ball and a walk. Disgrace is not a win. Is that, that win tonight was a fluke. This team needs to be revamped. We got too many guys that strike out too goddamn much. Stanton, I want him off the team this offseason. Trade him to the NL. The NL's getting a DH. Any team that wants him, take him. We'll pay as much salary as we can. 30, 40, fucking 50 million. Pay it off. Get him off the goddamn team. He's a liability. You also need the starting You guys picture. keep making I this point with Stanton. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sick and tired of hearing it. I'm sick and tired of hearing it when it comes to Stanton. Stanton is not going anywhere. He ticks me off too. He doesn't fit this lineup great. He's got a full no trade. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I didn't love the eighth inning, but a win is a win. The Yankees need any which win they could get. And Stan's not going anywhere. Guys got to stop with that. It's tough to take. I'm sorry. It's very tough to take. He dictates the action, not the Yankees, the player. And if he says, I'm happy, I'm Gucci, he ain't going anywhere. Let that sink in. Who's next? Hey, this is Alan from T-Neck. What the fuck are the Yankees? Stupid, like batting Gardner third. Who the fuck is making these lineups? I mean, what computer are they using? They just throw it out the fucking window. They fucking suck. The guy's like 0 for 3 tonight. Then it's batting Judge second. What the fuck is wrong with this team? They're fucking stupid. The Gardner-Hicks obsession in the three spot is tough to take. I don't disagree. And I have a solution. It's a very simple solution. Jerichel is one of your hotter hitters. How about you put him in either the two spot or the three spot? Keep LeMayu one. Maybe go Geo two, Judge three, as I suggested earlier. Or if you want to keep Judge two and hit Geo three, I don't, I don't really care. Roll a dice, take your pick. Aaron Hicks right now is lucky to be on the field. And if Brett Gordon is going to play, hit him seventh or eighth in the order. Should not be hitting in the three spot. Can't fight you on that. Who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Robin Edison. Listen, I'm an old-school baseball fan, and I want to say something that nobody says anymore. Can we just have your best hitter in the lineup at third? Can DJ LeMayhew be the number three hitter in the Yankee lineup? All this arguing about, oh, it can't be Hicks, it can't be Gardner. Listen, we got Aaron Judge batting second. He's a cleanup hitter. Put DJ LeMayhew up third. Let's go old-school baseball. Put Gardner first. I don't know who should hit second. And stop with all these fancy analytic nonsense. 
We played baseball for a hundred years where your best hitter was up third and your big RBI man was cleanup. Dallas Strawberry didn't hit second for the Mets in the 80s. No, Wally Backman did and Dystra first. My God. Can we just go back to the old school? Yeah, here's the problem with that, though. DJ LeMay, who's been a rock star for the Yankees for two years, correct? 2019 and 2020, DJ LeMay, you could do no wrong for the Yanks. Where'd he hit in the lineup? Number one spot. Lead-off spot. DJ LeMay leading off for the Yankees, trust me, is not their problem. I want to get DJ LeMay back to that player that he was. He was off to a little bit of a slow start. I love the guy. He's my favorite player on the team. I got to call it like it is. He has not been as good as he's been in years past, but it's early. And I know, at least with LeMay, those hits are going to come. Who's next? What's going on, JJ? It's Tyler from Syracuse. And I'm loving the show, but I did have a question about the New York Jets. With the draft coming up, everyone thinks they're going to take Zach Wilson. I think it would be a great fit with the number two pick. Who do they take with that second pick in the first round, if anyone, assuming they don't trade it? Who do you think? Do they go running back with either Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, depending on who's on the board, or do they go with another position? Thanks. Keep up doing the great work. Appreciate that. I'm not in love with the Jets taking a running back in the first round. Etienne is a stud. We all watched him at Clemson. I just get the sense the Jets have so many other needs on this team that are far more pressing. I'm not putting running back at the highest of priorities. That's just me. Who's next? It's the Jay. What's up? It's Alex from Newark. How are you doing, my friend? I haven't watched much Yankees this year, my friend. And you know what? Thank God. I hope they lose because eventually you have to hit bottom because listening to Cashman today, I mean, unbelievable. Patience. I believe in these guys. They've worked magic. What magic? What exactly magic? What patience? You held on to Tory till he was sipping green tea when he was on batteries. Trapper keeper, you know what? There's an argument now looking back. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten rid of him. Now you're going to show patience and you're going to make the magic? I mean, it's unbelievable. And here's the thing. Ever since 2004, the Red Sox have become us and we've become the Red Sox. And our standard now According to Cashman, it's just making the playoffs, just getting there. I mean, the boss has to be rolling in is great. Look at the Red Sox. Say what you want. They're not afraid to make change. We're the opposite. We are afraid to make change. 2004, got rid of Nomar, got rid of Pedro. 2008, got rid of Manny. These are guys in their prime. The Crawford, Gonzalez trade, Beckett trade. Then you had the Mookie Betts, David Price. I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes they take action. You know what? It's paid off. And what have we done? We're sitting back and we're going to let these guys work their magic. At what point are we allowed change? That's my only question. At what point are we allowed change? I know right now it's early. I get that. But at some point, you are allowed as a fan to say, this is not right. It's unacceptable. We have sucked for a long time. In Yankee standards, we have sucked. Alex Newark coming out guns blazing, I see. Now, he hit on some fair narratives with the Red Sox, and he also brought up an unfair narrative. Fair narrative, they were right to move on from Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, Garcia Parra, stroke a genius. Were they right to move on from Johnny Damon? I don't agree with that. Johnny Damon had a great run with the New York Yankees. That's, looking back on it, that's a monumental mistake. You tell me the Red Sox? You tell me Bill from Los Angeles? 
Wouldn't want to have Mookie Betts playing center field, the right field for his baseball team? Of course he would. This is where you give the Red Sox credit. When they're good, they get to the top of the mountain. They've bottomed out plenty of times, including last year. But when they're good, they get to the top of the mountain since 2004. The Yankees, on the other hand, have not. With the exception of 09, they're there every year. They've been in the playoffs a lot more, but they don't have the hardware and the trophies to show for it. Here's my stance on the state of affairs. The GM and a manager are not going anywhere mid-year. It's just not going to happen. This is about the end of this year. And how did the Yankees look at the end of this year? And if you're not happy with the results, your narrative of change, Alex and Newark, I'm not going to fight you on that. I'm not going to fight you. But let me see how the end of the year plays out. Two to go. Who's up? JJ, what up? It's Jonathan from Brooklyn. Uh, first time caller. I was out here at the golf range listening to you take some voicemails on Monday's show. Uh, and I wanted to give you a question about a guy named Christian Yelich. The Marlins, Derek Jeter, were, you know, given a fire sale, the whole team. And they basically gave Stan to us for nothing, who was the obvious play. But you had Christian Yelich, a left-handed bat. Nice compliment to Judge Sanchez at the time. Uh, I don't know why they didn't look at Christian Yelich. Just wanted to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Jonathan, it's a brilliant point. Excellent, excellent point. And in hindsight, who would rather have Stan on this team than Yelich? Yelich, who's already won an MVP in Milwaukee. Yelich, who would have fit this Yankee lineup perfectly. Lefty bat, puts the ball in play. I can't get enough for Christian Yelich. Then I would have given up prospects to get him. Now, Yelich with the Marlins was not the same Yelich that we've seen in Milwaukee, but that was the sort of player the Yankees needed. Stan's not going anywhere. He's got that full no trade, but in hindsight, who looks at that move now and says, yeah, it really fit exactly what the Yankees needed? It didn't. Because it has basically taken a team and made it even more of an all-or-nothing type of proposition. Except the homers, it's been a whole lot of nothing first two and a half weeks of the year. Thankfully, Joe Rochelle changed that a little bit tonight. Hallelujah. All right, one to go. Who do we got? Hey, John, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. I just saw you on the Golf Channel, man. How cool is that, dude? I remember you back in your days on CBS Sports Radio. Great to see you've made it, uh, you know, on your own here. Uh, that's a cool spot for you to be in. I'll say this, man. I, I want to get off a rant here a little bit about Rory McIlroy in, in the world of golf, man. I'll tell you one thing. Everybody hyped this guy up for years that he was the next Tiger. He was the next Nicholas. This guy can't score at all inside of 100 yards, man. Every time he goes to Augusta, it's like that course is inside of his head because it's the one major he hasn't won. It's going to be fascinating to see where this kid can go from here because I'll tell you one thing. He, we know how talented Rory is. We know how good he's been. But this guy hasn't won a major in seven years. Think about that. I mean, hell, Tiger went three minutes not winning a tournament. People said he was in a slump. Seven years, McElroy hasn't won a major. For a guy with his talent, that is insane to think about. And I'll tell you one thing, man. I hope to see more of you on the Golf Channel. Um, good good takes there on Stuart Sink, man. Great win. Good, good to see the older guys win and prove it that you don't have to bomb at 350 off the tee. Um, there, there's a lot of ways to get it done there out on the tour. Talk to you later, man. It's a great point on Rory McIlroy. 
And listen, Rory is a tremendous talent. He has won majors. His performance at Augusta has been awful. And for somebody as good as Rory McIlroy to not have a major in seven years, I expected more. We hold certain guys on the tour to a crazy high standard. And it has become tougher and tougher and tougher to win on the PGA Tour because you know what, folks? There are a lot of good players out there. But somebody as talented as Rory, who's always one of the betting favorites, it seems like, and wins plenty of tournaments throughout the year, you would have figured he would have lucked into a major over these last couple of years. Hasn't happened. For Rory to not have one in seven years is crazy. Absolutely insane. So before we hit my main man, Stanford Steve, who I've never had on the show, this is a show of first. The Knicks being relevant and watchable. Jeff Van Gundy coming on the show, now Stanford Steve. That's what's up. That's what I'm talking about. But before we do, the red hot Jeff Money wants to check in. Let's see what Jeff Money has in store for us. Hey, JJ, it's Jeff Money here with my uh, handicapper picks. We got it. This is going to be for Wednesday, April 21st. I'm going to take your New York Yankees. That's the only player like New York Yankees minus the 120. Okay, that's about it for today. Take it easy, JJ. Out. Jeff Money, checking in with a little Yankee baseball. And the Yankees tomorrow are right around minus 125. Ian Anderson against Corey Kluber. Complete stay away from me. Yankees coming off a win. But remember, the Yankees used a lot of relievers in this game here on Tuesday night. Now, they could go on back-to-back nights. Chapman could go. Wilson could go. I guess they could go to Green or Luizaga for an inning. And they do have Darren O'Day available. But Corey Cooper has not looked good. His last two starts have been terrible. I'll actually be at the game on Wednesday night. And this is going to sound silly from a Yankee standpoint. I hope we see Ronald Acuna. I want to see the guy play in person. I've not seen him play in person. So selfishly, I kind of want to see Ronald Acuna out there. Hope he's okay. Coming up next, my main man from SVP fame, the great Stanford Steve. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I can't believe we're doing this for the first time because I've basically been watching this guy on SportsCenter late night. I don't know how long they've been doing the show, Scotty and Stanford Steve, but they are a part of my nightly ritual. So I figured now that I have escaped terrestrial radio, Stanford Steve, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? Congratulations. I'm really, really happy for you for this opportunity, man. Well, I appreciate that. And I got to thank you and Scotty and all the folks over there for getting me through a whole lot of long nights. You know, that was, (laughs) dude, that's my routine. When I was up from two to five in the morning, you know, you'd watch all the games and I got you guys talking action, you guys doing what you do at night. Um, how long have you guys been doing that Sports Center SVP show at night? Five years was Connecticut. We started our sixth uh, Labor Day. We moved down to DC this summer. Um, so yeah, it's it's crazy. Time is is flying, but uh, really enjoyed. I mean, uh, your guy Srudi here, you know, calling the shots in the ones and twos. We go back, man. Srudi, like what? Ten, over ten years, right? Wow, from the mothership. How about yeah. that? 
Yeah, producer. 2013, yeah. Of the old SVP Rosillo days. Then he left me to go to the mornings, and then it was just things started happening, and uh, it's awesome to be uh, back with two of my favorite guys in the business, man. It's, it's really cool. Did you ever think we'd be living in a world, bro, where the wagering element is here, there, and everywhere? You love it. I love it. Your show embraces it. My show embraces it. Steve, I think back to when I started, man, I would talk about this stuff and mm -hmm. I'd be getting dirty looks. I'd be walking on eggshells. And now I'm kind of just like, YOLO, baby. I let it rip. I do what I do. Isn't it a beautiful thing? It, it, it's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, way back. I mean, I, I tell the Bad Beach story all the time. We tried doing it on radio and we just couldn't do it. The visual effect in, in the way these losses happen, or I should say some of the wins uh, for people, depends on what side you're on. Um, but he just couldn't do it. And I give Scott all the credit in the world. When he said we were going to come and, and, and do sports center and I was going to come with him and we were going to do bad beats. We were going to do bad beats every Monday after Monday night football and recap the week. And I give him credit. He said, we were going to do it. He told them what he was going to do. And here we are six years later and, you know, posted another one last night. And the reaction is, is just awesome being able to put it out on social media for the people that can't stay up late at night or don't know how to work a DVR, uh, we still try and supply uh, supply the the evidence uh, on social media. So it's uh, it's been something that just has taken off, and it's great. I mean, the 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 awareness uh, of it has just been incredible. But you know what? You know what it is in the North Bay. Everybody loves the action. It's just got to spread it out. You know. Of course. Now, for you to pick one. Bad beat is impossible. I couldn't do it either. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when you're doing it night in, night out, it's all right, what happened a month ago? What happened two months ago? But from a show standpoint, is there one particular bad beat that you think back on five years, six years, and say, holy smokes, that takes the cake? Well, this past year, I don't know if you saw the Virginia uh, Abilene Christian one with the pick six with no time left after they got tackled for a safety three plays later, got the most reaction we've gotten in a long time. And we've been doing this a while and it is, I don't know what it was. It's just, you know, the way we read it on TV, the, like I said, the, the actual video of it and seeing how the hell it happened and, and then getting losing tickets. Scott had like four people send a couple hundo oh, tickets, loser tickets in love the it. mail. Even though they're losers, Stevie, I love it because everybody can get involved with the party, you know? Oh, yeah. And and, and they had that, you know, 400 on, on Abilene Christian. I'm like, how do – who bet on that game? Abilene Christian of Virginia at the end of the season, like – but that's why we love the people. And to see that and just as soon as something happens on TV and to get hit up on Twitter – and just be, you know, hey, I'm, I'm earmarking this. And, you know, now, you know, we got about six or seven TVs. Like, on a night where we still got NBA and, and MLB, it's hard. You know, we got our screening room back in Bristol where we got some degenerates back there. that there are keeping go. eyes I on like things. hearing that. Okay. So, uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it, it's a process. But the way people have grabbed it and become a part of it has what has made it, I think, so popular. Uh, you and Scotty obviously go back a ways. What's mm -hmm. the origin story there? Wow. Uh, well, Rosillo was uh, got the gig as the college game day lead host for radio. And I got that. Uh, I was the producer the year before. And um, we became working partners, man. Like, 
we spent so much time together traveling every week with game day and those guys. Like I was with him more than I was with my, my fiance and wife at the time. And with that, Ryan was doing that while also doing uh SVP and Marcillo radio show Monday through Friday. So whenever I would go back, I think we had Mondays off or Tuesday. I forget what it was, but whenever I would go back in to say, you know, you got travel plans. I was thinking about this as a guest, I would go in to him and Scott's prep room and it would just be, it just got to a familiarity thing where I was popping in and we're, you know, shooting the shit and, you know, Hey, what'd you see last week and this weekend? And, and it, it, I just always thought of us as game watchers. You know, I, I understand what the, what the morning shows have to do in, in creating content. And, you know, a lot of those people aren't able to stay up because they got to be up so, up so early in the morning, but we would always try and tie our stuff to what we watched on the field. And, and that's why I like you guys so much, by the way, because you guys keep it simple. You watch the games, you give us takes on that, you get the wagering involved. It's amazing, Steve, how so many of these shows, radio and television, try to like reinvent the wheel, yeah. when in many ways, they don't need to reinvent the wheel. No, and, and the problem is, is when you're not watching the game, what do you go to? You go to social media, and we know the rule. You can't believe everything you see on, on see or read on, on social media. So we pride ourselves in, in just being some, some genuine guys that are sports fans and want to watch as, as many possible things that are going on every night in sports. Is your favorite sport to handicap on college football? It's got to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now that we have the draft coming up. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. We had this conversation a minute ago off air. Yeah. I am cool with Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase for my guy, too, and the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. Are you on the same wavelength there? Like, I'm thinking that Pitts draft prop, by the way, I've seen it now. I think it's at five and a half. I think yeah. he's going under that. I think somebody's going to get him. I think Atlanta ends up taking him. That's my gut feel. Yeah, um, it's, it's really interesting. I'm a tight end. I was a former tight end. I love the position more than anything. And... I'm, I got to be honest, I am so worried that this hype train of Kyle Pitts is getting too high with the expectations. I love him. The way he creates separation on any kind of guy they put on him in the SEC was absolutely incredible. His tape is unbelievable. Um, but but to, to hear the expectations that are getting put on him, and then you start hearing fantasy football people talk about the numbers that they expect on him, like, let's – Let's slow the brakes here. Like, I understand the SEC is the best conference in the country, but he's going to be playing a lot, a lot better guys that have athletic ability that could guard him at the next level. This is the cream of the crop here. But I do love him. I do think in the right system, he, he's going to be right. We know how valuable it is. He showed it. Uh, I mentioned the game tape. Um, and then Chase is a guy, as much as I didn't like the idea of, of, of him not playing, maybe it helped him because – the quarterback position at LSU wasn't too hot last year. No, and, and think about it, Steve, right? He's on the same team as Justin Jefferson, who yeah. was a monster with the Vikings. Yes. You watched him at LSU. Chase was the number one receiver on that team. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I was at the national championship game. I, I, I've been on the field for him. His separation skills are incredible. Um, I, I think he is that special. And and I've, I've mentioned that. Like, if you think Justin Jefferson – now. I want to give Justin Jefferson a lot of credit here. He got himself a lot better and made the most of an unbelievable opportunity being opposite another, a great receiver and filling in some shoes from Diggs, 
who people probably didn't have that many expectations for Jefferson, and he just went through the roof. But Jamar Chase, you go back, go watch the national championship game against Clemson. He's the guy. LSU didn't start out well. He went, guess what he said? I'm going to run by my guy, Joe. Hit me on a couple nine routes, and we'll get this party started. And that dome was rocking that night thanks to Jamar Chase. You have a favorite draft prop right now? Uh, I actually have a couple written down here. I, I, to me, the draft, it goes on how many, the pass catchers, like we just talked about, like McShay, we talked to him, uh, earlier this week. He thinks there's a good possibility. There's four pass catchers going to top 10. Wow. And, and that, that affects me to everything. So I look at a guy like Micah Parsons, the Penn state linebacker, who now there's, you know, what do we do? We get into this point every year where we're so bored of talking about the game tape and he doesn't have game tape because he sat out last year. Let's go snooping around and see what happened to him off the field. The kid is an absolute complete animal on the football field. Uh, I think his over, where is it? 11 and a half, I think. I think with the offensive love that this draft has, I think he's going to be the first defensive player taken but I think it's going to be after 11. I think it's going to be 12 or after. So I go over 11 and a half on Parsons. Um, are you buying the fact that Wilson is by far the second best quarterback in this draft? Oof, that's a great question. Because you watch all these crazy college football I, games. I, I like to think that I do, Steven. And there's you who takes it to another level. I didn't see enough of him for me to say, you know, definitively, I think he's a stud. And listen, Sometimes you're right. Like Watson, there was never a doubt in my mind. I said, this kid is going to thrive in the NFL. I'll take a win on that. Herbert, on the other hand, I watched Herbert at Oregon. I didn't see the guy that I saw last year no. with the LA Chargers. No. I mean, did you? I didn't no. see that guy. No, no. And that's and that's the problem here, okay, JJ? We got we have serious, serious things going on at that. I, you know, the evaluation. I go back to Tua and Burrow, right? Tua and Burrow. Every time they lined up, every single snap, they had the advantage with them. Their receivers and their their weapons were better than the guys guarding them every single snap of every single game. And give them credit. Those guys took took advantage of it and, and made the most of the opportunity. So when I look at Trevor Lawrence, I look at Mac Jones, I look at Justin Fields, all those guys have the same scenario. They have superior talent against talent that's not as, as good as them. So how do you go about the valuation? Like, that, did you see enough of them facing adversity? And did you like what you saw when they faced adversity? You know, everybody talks about the Northwestern game with Justin Fields. I don't hold that against them. I would put on the Clemson tape, who's a way better team than Northwestern. I look at what he did there. And the other issue we have with these guys, and I bring Trey Lance into the picture, there's not enough tape, man. There's not enough reps for these guys. Trey, Trey Lance was 17 and 0. How much adversity did he face? I want to see the guys when he comes under pressure. What are they doing? I like Mac Jones, you know, pocket presence. He's not going to extend plays and run for, you know, th- extend drives on third down with his feet. But Trey Lance is, Justin Fields is, you know, so it's it's a it's as dicey a thing. And, and, and you know, we, I mean, this started as soon as the draft process started about how much these quarterbacks are going to go at the top end of the draft. So it's, it's a scary thing to me. Um, but I, 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 I don't want to talk bad about the kids because they all made the best of opportunity and they deserve the opportunity and they're going to get wherever they go on Thursday night. So I, I mean, there's so much to like about all of them. And we know when you get taken in these top 10, top five scenarios, it's all about the situation you go to. 
And a lot of that stuff, what is it? 40% of these guys now pan out. I think the numbers are over the last, you know, 30 years. So it is, it's as tough a thing to do in sports is draft the right quarterback. And uh, it's just fascinating to see year after year. You buy in low. I know you like to play the odds, as do I. You buy in low now on the Yankees. You think it's a good time to buy low on the Yankees? I saw you like them oh, on Saturday. I did. I did. I thought that scenario was perfect. Um, listen, it's it's. there's a couple things here, okay? The schedule, you know, nobody else had to play the race seven times. Uh, a lot of Rays, first. a lot of Toronto. A yeah. lot of Rays in Blue I mean, Jays, yeah. So you have that. Now, What's hurt them in the past? Injuries. Those guys not staying healthy. Now those guys are in the lineup, and they're 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 Just playing. Five yeah. line. Not scoring I mean, runs. And it's baseball, man. Baseball is the longest haul there is. So I am not worried at all. Um, they have the talent. I believe in Aaron Boone. I, I mean, the guy's won hundred plus games every situation he's been in. Um, so yes, I would be in on the on the on the Yankees here for the longevity. You hate Ben baseball. <laughs> I do uh, every day. I like it in the playoffs, Steve. Here, I do. It's fun in the playoffs, and I like the season totals every day. Man, it's a grind. Takes years off your life. I, I'll tell. I'll tell you this: in the money line sports, right? With with hockey and baseball, if you're telling me you bet every day and you win, you're a liar. You're God. a damn lot. There is no way, no way, you're betting every day in those two sports and winning money. I don't care who you are. Now you can nickel and dime, maybe a couple of money line parlays across the board, um, you know, in certain spots here or there, you know, I, 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 I'm still always uh, going off of situations. I just thought how miserable they looked Friday night. I knew they were going to be focused against glass. Now they had plenty of chances in that game on Saturday early against glass. Now they didn't cash in. It's baseball, man. You got to cash in when you got the ducks on the pond and they didn't do that. Sunday was another story. Uh, they were that close, but there's, there's just too much talent on that team. And, and I, I believe in, in the staff and all the surroundings. I give you an adjusted win total, 90 and a half for your beloved New York Mets. And by the way, I had no idea you were a Mets fan. Oh, How yeah. did I miss this? All the years I've been watching the show, I had no idea. There's not a lot to talk about. Not a oh, lot wow. Of you're, not, you're not high on this team going no. into the year. No. You're not. No, I am not. Even with Lindor, even with Stroman and Walker, a shoving so far? Yeah, I, I just, the consistent, I mean, we talk about the Yankees lineup. I, the Mets lineup, to me, there are hole after hole after hole in there. And it just, I mean, the early injury to J.D. Davis, that hurt. I mean, he's back now. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sold on Alonzo. I'm, I'm really not. I need to see more consistency. I, you can't have a lineup like this and be that inconsistent when you're looked upon to do more. Now Lindor is going to going to uh you know be the guy. I think Lindor in the two hole is is the right play with with how good Nimmo's been at getting on base. Um but then where do you go from there? Uh the staff's been good. You can't you can't argue with anything like that. I do worry about the back end of the bullpen. Um it it feels like he's already got his favorite guys and um but hey, they've been successful. Uh, a lot better than I thought was going to go on um, in Colorado, which has been a play, you know, not a great place for them in years past. I'm just, I, I live and die with the Mets every day, JJ. Okay. And this beginning of the season has been such a struggle because all I want to no, no do, flow, bro. You want to watch baseball. All I want to do is watch them play. Oh, that's all I want to do. They go out in the plane. I see the video of them 
Getting off and there's a blizzard. It was like Rocky <laughs> Four, Steve. You remember when they get off the plane of Rocky Four and it's Paulie's asking about the Rose Bowl game? That was Strowman and Pilar and all those guys. It was Russian Moscow and Rocky Four. I still Ford, have a question dude. about Rocky Four. He's asking about the Rose Bowl and the fight was on December 25th. That's, that's a good point. Inaccurate. Yeah. Inaccurate. All right. You're going to be that out of there. That's, you know, I never thought of that. Yeah. Because I was watching it the other day, late night. And are you pro or anti-Rocky Four? You got to be pro Rocky oh, Four, right? Phenomenal. The soundtrack? Are you kidding me? Hearts on Fire. No easy way out. out. High school games. That's on my running playlist, man. There you I mean, go. we're talking about embarrassing. Me uh, running the streets of Brooklyn <laughs> with no easy way out, thinking about Drago. I'm doing the, 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 the beach scene in the with Apollo. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Before we get you out of here. Whatever. Is the NFL games going to now be a staple of winners going into next season? Or is that out now because we're not going to have any shutdowns? Hopefully, God willing, with college. Oh, that's a great question. Um, Too I, early to tell? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. But, I mean, let's be honest. Scott says it all the time. Like, the majority of teams have deals with, with DraftKings, FanDuel, whoever. They have a team in, in freaking Las Vegas. Like, let's open our eyes here a little bit of the National Football League. All right? Let's, let's, let's turn the worm here and, and, and open our eyes to reality and not be archaic in our ways when it comes to, you know, maybe having a couple shekels on the game. Um, let's make it more open and, and, and let's embrace it more. It's only going to help you. You know the money that's what's at stake. Uh, so I'd like to be them, see them a little bit more honest. Well, I appreciate that take. I will continue to be watching you guys night <laughs> after night after night. I am bummed, by the way, when you guys are off. Like, when you guys are off, it throws oh. off the routine. I mean, I'm like, well, what the hell's going on? And now I actually can watch you guys and go right to bed as opposed ah. to me watching you guys and, and working. So I do have that going for me. But I am a creature tonight. Uh, Love you guys. All the best, Stevie. And if you ever need to rant on the Mets, you know we have a voicemail number. So, FYI. All right. Uh, good luck with that change of your sleep schedule. That's very yeah, important for you moving forward, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, we'll try. That's the great Stanford <laughs> Steve. SVP, best sports center in town, hands down. Great addition to New York, New York. We got all the draft stuff. Peter King's going to join us on Thursday. Voicemails, get you ready for the weekend. JJ out. Be good, everybody. <laughs> 